Welcome to Playmakers Talk Show, where business owners, professionals, and entrepreneurs gather to discover playmaking ideas for success. Your host is internationally recognized speaker, facilitator, and author, Steve Klein, who sits down with fascinating playmakers who have made themselves and their company successful. Steve will introduce you to CEOs and executives who discuss their playmaking path toward success. And now, it's time to meet this show's playmaker. Here's your host, Steve Klein. Steve Jobs said, It does not make sense to hire smart people and then tell them what to do. We hire smart people to tell us what to do. Welcome to Playmakers Talk Show. I'm Steve Klein. In the studio today is a guest who hires smart people, listens to them, and acts on their suggestions. Today's Playmaker has moved his company from the West Coast to a new state-of-the-art facility in North Lake, Texas. With us today is a CEO whose company began in 1912 in the back of a bicycle shop and is now the country's largest direct-to-delivery coffee company. This great playmaker is Mike Cowan. Mike is president and CEO of Farmer Brothers. After joining Farmer Brothers in early 2012, Mike began implementing a strategic vision for Farmer Brothers, including investing in strategic acquisitions and driving sustainability in areas such as coffee sourcing, greenhouse gas reduction, waste reduction, supply chain excellence, and helping coffee farmers. Farmer Brothers is a leading manufacturer and distributor of high-quality coffees, teas, spices, and culinary products to food service establishments and retailers with annual sales of $550 million. Products are distributed primarily through 500 routes and is the country's largest direct store delivery coffee company. Key national customers include McDonald's, Target, and Walgreens. Farmer Brothers has 1,800 employees, three manufacturing plants, and coffee source from 28 countries. We're going to have a lot to talk about. Mike, welcome to Playmakers Talk Show. Well, thank you for having me on, Steve. Now, first question is about your background when you were in college. You ran cross-country at Northwestern, and you received your BS degree in economics. But how has the endurance of long-distance running helped you run and turn around companies? Well, it, it's a really good question. I, I I still get out and run. I, I always enjoyed running because uh, as a kid, I was actually the probably among the least athletic people that that, um, that I knew, and I really aspired to be a basketball player or perhaps something else. But in distance running, I, I think you have to um, work hard, and you can have some success if you work harder than other people. You have to stick to it and not get too high on the good days and not too low on the bad days. I can remember running at Northwestern, and we might be out on a 10 or 12 or 15-mile run. And even over that experience, you could have some good parts and some times where maybe you weren't feeling so good and had to find a way to just keep going. And uh, whether it's a turnaround, a startup, or in, in our situation here, a very proud company that may be falling on some tough times, having that uh, dedication to work is, I think, very important. Running, cross-country running, is, is, is a team sport, but it's an individual sport, whereas basketball is more of a team sport. But you've made the uh, the switch over to a team environment. We were talking earlier about about the people that work for you, and you decided that uh, say, calling them employees is probably right, the right uh, the right uh, term, term for them. But apparently you are a – you've developed teams in the in the uh, businesses you've been in, uh, it, it, I think it's something that's really important to to, to draw back off uh, my running uh, stories. Being a part of a relay was some of the most fun that you could have being in track, and it's up on everybody to do their piece. I've always believed that old cliche about hiring people that are smarter than you and getting out of their way, listening to people across the organization, and 
while we're certainly not perfect here, I think it's something that's served uh, the organization well and, and uh, the culture well very, very much here. Let's talk about that now. I was going to wait until a little, little later to bring this up, but you are in your new facility in North Lake, Texas. Uh, as you were designing it, you went to your, your people and asked them, what would you like to see? And that was incorporated into your, uh, to your new facility. Talk about that. Well, when we set out to build the facility, um, we, we really wanted to have a place that could attract and retain talent. And as you know, this uh, Dallas-Fort Worth market is a very, very competitive one of the things we thought we had going for us is a coffee culture. So while your listeners can't see this, we think the building looks and has the feel and energy of a very nice coffee shop. Um, as we went down that journey further, we established a group called the Cafe Crew, um, employees across the organization um, who, um, who came together with ideas on how we should construct the facility, how we should set up workspaces. The, the energy and the motivation I get from that crew is remarkable. They, they help uh, drive things like um, celebrations of birthdays and, and holiday events and family days and so forth. And none of that would have come from the senior team with all the passion and excitement that it does uh, from, from, from that team. And it's just one example of what we've tried to do to, to really have a place that um, can be as much fun as, as you can have knowing you're still coming into work. We're going to talk more about the facility and what you did moving from Torrance, California to, uh, to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But in an interview I, I saw of you a while back, you talked about the individual that invented coffee. Matter of fact, you have a mural in your, in your lobby. Talk about, is it Caldi? Caldi, yes. Caldi was a um, she, sheep herder, goat herder, who in coffee lore saw his herd dancing joyously, I believe is the actual term, in the meadow one day, having had a, a bean, actually the coffee bean, and he decided to have some himself. So he uh, was, um, I guess, dancing joyously with the goats, and uh, uh, supposedly a, a monk came by who was known to fall asleep during prayers and took the magic beans with him, and hence the discovery of coffee, or so it's been told. That brings us now to early 20th century, 1912. Talk about the beginning of, I believe it was Roy Farmer, began making coffee in the back of his bicycle shop, is that correct? That's right. He began to make coffee in the back of his brother's bicycle shop, um, hence Farmer Brothers, and was very entrepreneurial. Um, so he's roasting coffee in his brother's bicycle shop. They're delivering the coffee to small um, grocery stores, restaurants, so forth. And he, he's, again, very entrepreneurial. So he begins to invest in the business with his family, and the company really took off. Um, but it's tough to believe that was pre-World War I. And uh, the, the company really started a legacy of innovation that, that served itself enormously well, even into the early part of this century. Was his interest in doing that because he liked coffee himself and wanted to make it for himself rather than make it into a business? That's a good question. I don't think I know for sure, but a couple of traits I know about um, our, our founder. Very, very creative, very passionate about quality, dedicated to serving the customers that he served extremely well, and a strong belief in himself and, and the organization. So over that period, they're reinvesting in, uh, in the business and growing 
and he was also very, very motivational. I, I believe the employees were enormously well taken care of, um, which was, was something we still try to push ourselves to make sure that we're valuing the individual and their contributions to the business. Which was probably relatively unusual back in those days. And let's kind of flash forward to, oh, maybe the 80s and 90s, and the coffee business turned 180 degrees from just your uh, 10 cent, 25 cent cup of coffee up to you name it in terms of how much you want to spend on coffee these days. How large is the coffee business these days? Well, it's a very good question. I think most of the data, and it's tough to tell exactly, would put the U.S. coffee business right around 70, 71 billion dollars annually. So it's a very large uh, business, uh, and obviously it's a key part of uh, many um, Americans' uh, daily um, habits and, and beverage choices. If we were looking at a chart, would it have would it have increased dynamically in the in the beginning of the 80s in terms of people's consumption of coffee because of the coffee shops were opening up? That, it's a great point, and that's exactly what happened. So you, we begin to see a number of trends happen. If you go back to World War II and, and afterwards, it's mostly what we would consider today to be a lower quality coffee. Um, still very good, but but not quite what we saw in the 80s and 90s where you see the rise of coffee shops go with higher, more premium coffees, much better prepared, and you see the equipment get better and better and better, uh, as well as manufacturing is all coming together to give the U.S. consumer a really good cup of coffee, and those trends are still continuing. What's changed, though, which is really interesting, is it used to be back in the day older Americans drinking more black coffee as they got older. Now we're seeing a dynamic where it's actually younger people coming into the coffee industry um, um, and not drinking as much of um, things like carbonated soft drinks, those types of products. So there's a real um, energy. There's youth coming into the category, and it has been for quite a while. And you also see new and different types of products, um, products like a cold brew, for example, which you, it's easier to drink throughout the day. Iced coffee, all sorts of innovation continues on in the industry, and it's, it's been that way probably for the last 15, 20 years or so. So this is the business to be in, the coffee business. We, we think it's an on-trend business right now. Uh, we think it's a, a product that consumers enjoy. There is some science um, that would suggest that coffee can be beneficial, um, to the consumer, drunken with appropriate moderation and so forth. Uh, so we think it's very much on trend. One of our um, secondary categories is tea, and we think coffee and tea have, have many of the similar traits in terms of being a healthy source of uh, caffeine for the U.S. consumer. You mentioned $70 billion as far as the size of the coffee industry in the United States. How much of a piece of that is Farmer Brothers? Farmer Brothers has less than 1% share, so we're uh, relatively small in the in the greater scheme of things, and, and we think that's an opportunity to grow. Um, we've been fortunate over the last uh, few years, as we had for so many years before I came on board, to be a growing enterprise, and we want to continue to grow and ideally grow in advance of the category. I think that's what our board expects, it's what our shareholders expect, and it's what we expect of ourselves. Well, the upside of that is you have a uh, larger to grow. We, we uh, do. <laughs> and expand. Your business is a little bit different than a lot of your competitors. Your name isn't as well known as some other big names. So how do you market and who do you sell to? We service a network of um, many independent restaurants, casinos, healthcare, um, and so forth. Our reputation is, is very strong in the industry, though, our, to your point, our name is not known 
to the public as much, but there's a very good chance in many parts of the country where we're better developed that there, your listeners could be enjoying a cup of Farmer Brother coffee right now, um, or perhaps under the name Artisan Blend or uh, Metropolitan would be something that we've sold. Um, but we don't talk about our customers very often. Um, we just try to keep our nose down, provide good service and, and really good coffee. And if we do that, we think we'll be just fine. Are most of your brands private label brands then? Yes, they would be private label brands or food service. So uh, very well known into the industry and, and um, by um, both uh, high, medium, and low-end coffee uh, restaurants and so forth, but, but generally not well known to the, to the public. But you're also very aggressive in coming up with, with new products, is that correct? Talk about some of the products and, and the categories that you're in, because I think you have something as unusual, at least I thought when I looked at your products, as pancake mixes. So to talk about your mix of products. Sure. So while we major in coffee and, and maybe minor in tea, we, uh, you may find a number of things that a restaurant might have. So one of the really smart things that um, the founders, uh, they're uh, Roy Farmer and his son, uh, also named Roy Farmer, did was find other high-quality products to put on the truck. Could be pancake mix, uh, soup, soup bases, perhaps spices are a very nice business. But secondary items that a, a restaurant owner may want to have back. And when we get our direct store delivery model right, we show up, we take inventory, we'll service the equipment, which particularly in coffee is very important. So it's high-quality water. Uh, to produce uh, good coffee and good equipment. Uh, it all comes together. We're, we're, we're really quite an ally to, to that restaurant owner or casino or college university or other places you might uh, have, a, have a meal or a cup of coffee. I mentioned at the beginning that you are the largest direct store delivery coffee company in the United States. You said you have about 1% of the market. Where does the growth come from? We've been growing in a, in a number of different ways. First, the category is growing, which is always a nice place to be. Second, within the category, premium coffees continue to grow in this country. And we were a bit underdeveloped. Um, so that's an area we're catching up very dramatically, and that's a nice avenue for growth. And then third, we've been fortunate in being able to attract um, new business. And unfortunately, I can't share too much about that with you, but we service um, some very demanding and high-end restaurant chains. And we're really excited for this facility to continue that process. You've just had a chance to see it. Your listeners could go online and see it. But it, we, we think it's a, a beautiful facility that many, many demanding coffee uh, restaurateurs, coffee shops, whatever, would be very proud to have uh, their coffee made in this place. As you were showing me part of the facility, I had mentioned this is a showplace. I can't see how they would not buy from you once they had a chance to see it, smell the coffee, and, uh, and, and drink it. Speaking of the facility, what led to the decision to move from a, I believe it was about a 60-year-old facility in Torrance, California, uh, to a bigger, larger facility in North Lake, Texas? Well, there were a couple of things that were transpiring. So, um, as I mentioned, um, in the early, mid-2000s, the company had, had run into some pretty significant challenges from some acquisitions that I think were very smart strategically, but perhaps could have been implemented better. And the price of coffee surged, and we weren't um, up to date with a good hedging program, and sorted other things happened. So job one was to get to profitability, and, and we were fortunate to do that. Um, never as quickly as we'd like, but we did get that. And then we began to set out and see, uh, say to ourselves, excuse me, where is this company going to be um, in, the, in the next 
10, 20, 30, 50 years. And it was clear we had evolved from a, uh, a very strong foundation of success in California, but to a, a national customer footprint. Uh, our facility was aging, and we didn't think it would be able to get the high-quality certifications that you need to in this industry. So we set out on a national search, looking at many, many criteria. And, and the Texas corridor from, call it, um, north of Houston to Oklahoma City looked very good. Um, but we're not a California company that just happened to come here. We're a California company that looked all over us to where the best place to be from a coffee standpoint, sourcing and distribution and obviously manufacturing and access to talent in the Dallas-Fort Worth area we felt was, was uh, an ideal place to be. There weren't, it wasn't all a bed of roses moving um, to North Texas. Talk about some of the challenges you had as you made the transition from the West Coast to uh, Central America? Well, it's a, it's a great question. Um, so, so I'll start with something I think we did right, and that was to announce our relocation and basically um, uh, hope and, and trust that our California employees would do a great job as we were running out of that facility. And they, they were remarkable, exceeding every expectation. So I, I, I think that was great. Um, now we'll go to some things that could have gone better. Uh, we moved our headquarters to an interim building down in Alliance, which we were only in for about a year. If I had that one to take back, I certainly would. Uh, moving twice in a year uh, put a lot of stress on, on all the people that were here. Um, and I'll, we'll always be thankful for, for that. Um, I think when we started up the facility, we probably could have done a better job um, in how we moved into each of the facilities. So again, moving into headquarters was tough. We hired several hundred people in a very short period of time. We brought on the distribution center and then roasting uh, in the middle of uh, one of the wettest springs, I think, in North Texas history. So uh, we we got through it at the end, but we certainly had our challenges along the way. You came in and you essentially turned around the company. Uh, you got to profitability. Any situations with the board in terms of what we were doing next to move to a larger facility? Well, first I'd say um, we've had several iterations of the senior leadership team. Um, we had some people who did a fantastic job. It wasn't just me. While we were in California, who opted not to make the move, uh, for personal reasons, uh, but we wanted them to come out. We had to kind of reboot up here. We've had some change in evolution of the board. Uh, the board in particular was fantastic during the process. And by that, I mean um, they were a resource for us as we were seeking to build this building. They pushed hard. Um, they, they pushed hard. And, and there were times we needed it because they had expertise that we didn't have or just... Um, almost a sixth sense sometime as to you all as a management group need to focus on that. So I'll always be thankful for the board. Sometimes it was tough love, um, but, but we needed it, and, and it's it served us well and served the shareholders well. It's been quite a journey. Um, there's always some things you take back and do differently, but I, I think that uh, as a group we worked very, very hard, and you, you can see it here. I think it's a beautiful facility, and we expect that it'll track the kind of volume that you're talking about. Let's go back to uh, to your background. Your your background isn't necessarily coffee, though. I believe you were in the creamer business yes. prior to Farmer Brothers. What brought you here? A and B. In the companies you were with prior to Farmer Brothers, did you ha did you experience anything similar to what you've been doing over the last few years? 
I think I was really well prepared for this job because of some of the uh, assignments that I had in the past. I've had several um, jobs where you're taking over a group that maybe isn't performing the way you'd like or is trying to, to compete with a larger competitor. When I was with White Wave, you're referencing, uh, we had a very good competitor in Nestle, um, which we had to find a way as a smaller organization to compete with a larger one, and I think we did it well most of the time, never perfect, and, and, and they're a tremendous organization. But then as I stepped back and looked at my own career goals uh, and so forth, and this opportunity came up, I I thought that all of those little op, um, uh, building blocks, if you will, over many years working in a startup turnaround, um, nimble, competitive environment um, served serve me very well. One of the, the key questions I always ask people when, when we interview here is, do you like to win or hate to lose? Because I really think they're different. Um, coffee's a competitive business. Um, we have some very good competition. And you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. And, and I really do want to have people who are passionate and work very hard and, of course, collaborative and all those types of things with great skill set, but also who may feel it a little bit. When when we lose one, we try to acknowledge it and uh, dust yourself off, come back the next day uh, ready to go. But um, I, I think that's it's a trait that I hope uh, continues to grow in the culture. I, I believe that's an important aspect of what, what you look for in a, in a company. You mentioned a large part of your leadership team did not make the move to Texas. I believe you only had about 20 people make the move from the West Coast. You spent six months hiring people. Are you getting the quality of people you wanted to? Absolutely. So when we came out here, and uh, again, for your listeners, we're in North Lake, right across from Texas Motor Speedway. And when we first started to look at the land out here, there wasn't much here. It's definitely much more developed now. So that was that was very good for us to um, to know that we would have access to talent the way that the local leader said we would. So that, that more than happened. And as you have seen looking around, we have different needs here. The headquarters will have a, a different profile from the roasting operation or the distribution operation. Um, this is a very competitive market, but we've been very pleased with the employees that we've been able to attract. And now we're working to make sure that they um, they stay with us because it's very competitive. And obviously compensation's part of it, but I think having a place people enjoy coming and a culture they um, want to be in with people they'd like to work with, um, in my experience, is more important. You've been with Farmer Brothers for six years. Uh, the facility opened uh, a year ago, so that was five years after you took over. You've had a long-distance run uh, up to this position. Where where does Farmer Brothers go from here? I think our, our um, clearest look at the future is to continue to major in coffee. Um, we think the future of coffee, and, and not just as a product, but in terms of the culture. So I'd ask your listeners, if, if they want to understand what that means, go to a coffee shop. It's a place people go to enjoy a beverage. It's a place they go to relax. It's a place they go to connect with friends um, or just go read the paper. Um, we think that the ability to help our customers deliver that experience with a great cup of coffee will serve us very, very well. Um, it's easy to get distracted with other categories and things we could be, but I think if we can stick to our knitting and continue to, to um 
to grow in this space that were well served, knowing that there'll be other types of products and, and things that, um, that we will seek to sell our customers and, and help them grow their businesses. Should one of the listeners want to find out more about Farmer Brothers, where should they go? Well, I think they should go to the website. It's always a good place to start. Um, I envision over the next year or two we'll probably have some public days uh, to allow people to come in and experience the facility. Once it's all up and running, as you had a chance to look around, there's still some construction going on. But I would envision this being uh, a place where there's much more public outreach than we're doing now, and that'll come with the completion of the construction and everything else that we've got going on back there. And the website is Farmer Brothers. It's farmerbros.com to find out everything about Farmers Brothers. Well, Mike, thank you very much for being a part of a Playmakers Talk Show. Well, thanks for stopping by. We appreciate it. You are definitely a playmaker. A playmaker is somebody that makes things happen, and if nothing else, you've been an instigator here too. We've been speaking with Mike Cowan. Mike is president and CEO of Farmer Brothers. It's been great having Mike with us on the show, and thanks to all of you for listening and joining us. Join us again at PlaymakersTalkShow.com, where you can get all of our past episodes. That's PlaymakersTalkShow.com, and we're going to be back with more Playmakers. See you then. You've been listening to Playmakers Talk Show with Steve Klein. Join Steve again at PlaymakersTalkShow.com for more interviews with interesting and successful playmaking CEOs and executives.